Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith, using the Belgian Confession of Faith as our guide. Last time we learned that God reveals himself in his creation and in his word. And today, with the Lord's help, we want to consider in more detail how God has revealed himself in his word. And that's explained in Article 3 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. Now, before we turn to this, let's first turn to the Holy Scriptures. We'll be reading two passages from the New Testament. First of all, 2 Peter 1, verses 16 to 21, and then also 2 Timothy 3, the verses 14 to 17. First then, 2 Peter 1, the verses 16 through 21. Hear God's holy word. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We turn next to 2 Timothy chapter 3, the verses 14 to 17. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus." All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thus ends the reading of the word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word. Dear friends, the Bible is a unique book. It was written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and a few passages in Aramaic, over a period of more than 1,500 years by more than 40 authors of varying ages and backgrounds on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. It consists of 66 separate books, some of which are historical, others are polemical, and still others are letters. 39 of these books, or approximately three-quarters of the Bible, constitute what is commonly known as the Old Testament, and the remaining 27 books constitute what is commonly called the New Testament. And yet, despite all of this, the Bible proclaims a single message, and the message is that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. It also displays a remarkable degree of unity and continuity. 
And that's clear from the fact that the New Testament contains roughly 3,000 quotations and upwards of 4,000 allusions to the Old Testament. There's no other book like it, nor will there ever be another book like it. It stands alone among all human writings, both religious and secular. But how did we get the Bible? Where did it come from? And what are we to do with it? These are some of the questions that we want to consider in our sermon today. My theme is the written word of God. And we'll consider, first of all, how it came to be written, and secondly, why it came to be written. So how did we get the Bible? Did it just drop out of heaven? Was it discovered, like the Book of Mormon, on a hill in some remote location someplace? Well, no, it wasn't. So how then did we get it? Well, we have an answer to that question in Article 3 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. There we confess as follows, that this word of God was not sent nor delivered by the will of man, but that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, as the Apostle Peter says, and that afterwards God from a special care which he has for us and our salvation commanded his servants, the prophets and apostles, to commit his revealed word to writing. And he himself wrote with his own finger the two tables of the law. Therefore we call such writings holy and divine scriptures. So we confess here that the Bible was not sent nor delivered by the will of man. In other words, the Bible was not written by man. It was not the product of human creativity or design. And it's very important that we understand that. That's because for several hundred years, so-called biblical scholars have been telling us that the Bible is exactly that. It's a mere anthology of what people in the past thought about God, but it's certainly not inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that has led some to deny the historicity of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. It has led others to deny the Mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch and even many of the sayings of Jesus Christ. It's led others to say that the Bible is not the Word of God, but that it merely contains the Word of God. The rest is merely the words of man. But dear friends, that contradicts what the Bible says about itself. The Bible itself clearly testifies that it does not have its origin in man, but rather in God. So how then did we get the Bible? Our confession tells us, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, as the Apostle Peter says. So our confession here is referring to 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. And there Peter, speaking of the Holy Scriptures, writes this, No prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You notice what it says here. God spoke. As we saw the last time, God spoke to many different people in many different ways throughout the ages. Sometimes he spoke directly in a dream or in a vision or a theophany. Sometimes he spoke indirectly through the mouth of one of his prophets or one of the apostles. Ultimately, he spoke to us through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The point is, the God whom we worship, the God of the Bible, is a God 
who speaks. He's not a silent God, nor does he remove himself from man, allowing them to wallow in their own ignorance of him and of his will. No, he is a God who speaks. He communicates to man, and he does so in a language that they can understand. But that's not all. He also caused various men, for example, Moses and David, the prophets and the apostles, to write down what he had to say so that future generations could read it and take instruction from it. Now, we call this inspiration. The word inspiration literally means breathed in. God literally breathed his word into the writers of Scripture, and they wrote exactly what he wanted them to write. One theologian, B.B. Warfield, defines it like this, and I quote, Inspiration is a supernatural influence exerted on the sacred writers of Scripture by the Spirit of God, by virtue of which their writings are given divine trustworthiness. Well, such are the writings of Scripture. They are the very words of God communicated through men. Peter speaks of this process in the verse that we quoted earlier. There Peter says, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the word moved here can also be translated as carried. The Holy Spirit, in a manner of speaking, carried the writers of Scripture so that what they wrote is exactly what God intended them to write. The Apostle Paul uses a slightly different word in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. There Paul writes that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now that Greek word translated as inspiration here is theonoustos, which literally means God-breathed. The Scriptures are God-breathed. They come from the very mouth of God. Now how did God do this? How did God inspire his word? Well, there are three different views of inspiration. The first is what we call the dynamic view. According to this view, the Holy Spirit affected only the writers of Scripture, but not their writings. And so their view of inspiration is really literary. It's a literary inspiration. The writers of Scripture were inspired in much the same way as a composer is inspired to write a piece of music, or a poet is inspired to write a poem. That's the view of modern-day liberalism. Then there's the mechanical view. This view is a direct, the direct opposite of the dynamic view. According to this view, the Holy Spirit literally dictated what he wanted the writers of Scripture to write. And so, therefore, it's sometimes called the dictation view. And that's the view of fundamentalism. And then there's another view called the organic view. According to this view, although the, the human authors of Scripture were completely controlled and guided by the Holy Spirit, even in their very choice of words, nevertheless, God used them as they were. In other words, he used their character, their temperament, their gifts, their talents, their education, their experiences, even their own vocabulary and diction and style, so that each book of the Bible bears the unmistakable stamp of its author. Now, needless to say, this is the view that is the most correct. 
That's because this view best accounts for the tremendous variety of styles and approaches that we find in the Bible. For example, Amos was a farmer, and so it's not surprising that he used a lot of imagery from the world of agriculture. Luke was a doctor, and so we find that he uses medical terms and describes illnesses in detail, which the other gospel writers often ignore. The Apostle Paul was well-educated, and so his letters are very orderly and highly structured, even somewhat philosophical. And he uses vocabulary that, that one would expect to, to, to find in a highly educated man. Now, one theologian, Charles Hodge, put it like this, and I quote, We learn from the scriptures themselves that the Holy Spirit is employing men as his instruments in conveying truth. And he did not change their mental habits. He did not make Jews write like Greeks or force all into the same mold. Each retained his own peculiarities of style and manner, and therefore whatever is peculiar to each is to be referred not to his inspiration, but to his original character and culture. God affects his purposes by those instruments which he has in the ordinary course of his providence specially fitted for their accomplishment. The point is, the Bible is the inspired word of God. To reinforce that, our confession says that God himself wrote with his own finger the two tables of the law. So here we learn that God wanted us to have his word in writing so much that he wrote the first words, the Ten Commandments, himself as a pattern for those inspired writers who would follow. In fact, by divine inspiration, all of Scripture was written by God. It's as though every word of this book was written with his own finger. Now, there are some who dispute that. And they say that only parts, for example, the moral and religious parts of the Bible were inspired. The other parts weren't. That's because they allege that the writers of Scripture made mistakes. They made mistakes about things like times and dates and, and places. Now, over and against that, of course, we, we say no. We say that all of Scripture is inspired. We have a name for that, and it's called the verbal plenary inspiration of the Scriptures. The word verbal refers to the words of Scripture. The word plenary means unrestricted, unqualified, without exception. So the point is that every single word of Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now that's clear from Matthew 5, verse 18. There Jesus says that till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. This is clear from 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 where Paul writes that all of Scripture is God-breathed. There's not a single word in the Bible that should not be there. Every single word is inspired by God. Well, this then is how we got the Bible. It was not sent or delivered by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, what lessons can we learn from this? Well, at least several. First of all, since all of Scripture is inspired we need to read and study what the scriptures contain. It's sad but true that many people today, including Christians, will read all kinds of things except for the Bible. They'll read their newspapers and their magazines and their novels and their coffee table books, but they will not read the scriptures. Most people, even in the church, especially women, 
spend far more time reading so-called Christian romance novels than they do the scriptures. And I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with reading Christian romance novels, but there is something wrong when we spend more time reading those books or any other kind of material than we do the scriptures. And so let me ask you, how much time each day do you spend reading and studying the scriptures? How often do you attend Bible study if you're able Do you even attend at all? The Bible is no ordinary book, beloved. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it contains all that we need to know for this life and for the life to come. And since that is so, should we not read and study it more than we do? And not just parts of it, not just the parts that we like, but all of it, also the parts that we don't necessarily like. Second thing we can learn from this is this. Since all of Scripture is inspired Let us believe what the scriptures teach. And again, many don't do that either. There are many people today also within the church who pick and choose what they want to believe and what they don't want to believe. Or they force the Bible to say what they want it to say. Or they just ignore it altogether. For example, the Bible says that God created the world and everything in it in six days. And he did so by simply speaking a word. But there are those who deny that. And they say, well, God may have provided the necessary building blocks for life, but he used the process of evolution to bring forth everything that we see into existence. Another example. The Bible says that women may not serve in the office of deacon, elder, or pastor. But there are those who say no. There are those who say those passages in the Bible which seem to condemn this must be understood in their cultural context. And we no longer live in that context, and therefore all offices are open to women. Another example, the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin. It's not the greatest sin, certainly not a sin that cannot be forgiven, but it's a sin. And again, some will say no to that. They say when the Bible condemns homosexuality as a sin, it's, it's only condemning promiscuous homosexuality. But it's not condemning homosexuality as such. And therefore, the church should not condemn homosexuals or homosexuality, but rather welcome them and even celebrate their lifestyles. Now, the Bible says that there is only one way to be saved, and that's by faith in Jesus Christ. And again, there are those who say no to that. It really doesn't matter what you believe, they say, so long as you are sincere. Besides, there are many paths to God. Who are you to say that yours is the only path? Over and against all of this, we have to say, no, the Bible is the inspired word of God. And therefore, it must be believed in its entirety. Those who ignore it or twist it in any way do so at their own peril. Thirdly, we learn here that if all of Scripture is inspired, then we need to do what the Scriptures require. And again, there are many who don't do that either. The Bible says, for example, we need to repent of sin, but they don't repent. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they don't, do, they don't believe. The Bible says, pursue after holiness and live your life to the glory of God, but they refuse. They hang on to their sins. The Bible says, keep the Sabbath day holy, but many go about doing their own thing on this day. The clear commands of Scripture are either compromised or completely ignored. And again, my friends, this ought not to be. The Bible is the inspired word of God. And therefore, we must do what it says. Fourth lesson we can learn here is this. 
Since all of Scripture is inspired, we may rest in what the Scriptures promise. Do the Scriptures promise that those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ shall receive the forgiveness of all of their sins and the gift of everlasting life? Yes, it does. Well, then we may rest in that promise. Do the Scriptures promise that God will be with us in every circumstance, including all of our trials and hardships, and that in some way, in ways that we cannot even imagine, all things will work out to the good of those who love him? Yes, it does. Well, then we may rest in that promise. Do the Scriptures promise that the souls of those who die in the Lord will go immediately to be with him, and that they shall remain with him unto the day of judgment? when the soul shall be reunited with the body and we shall live and reign with him and with all believers in a recreated earth to all eternity. Yes, it does. Well, then we may rest in that promise. The Bible is the inspired word of God and therefore we may rest in its promises. The scriptures therefore are given to us by God. Now, why did God do this? Why did he see to it that his word would be inspired and written down? That brings me to my second point, why it came to be written. There's a reason why God caused his word to be written down. Our confession tells us what that reason is. It says that he did so from a special care which he has for us and our salvation. We learn here something very important. We learn that God cares about us. And he demonstrates that care in so many different ways, doesn't he? He demonstrates it in providing for us and protecting us and leading and guiding us. Jesus in Matthew 6 reminds us that if he feeds the birds of the air and clothes the grass of the field, how much more will he feed and clothe us? But the ultimate demonstration of his care for us is his holy and infallible word. Why is the Bible the ultimate demonstration of his care for us? Because the Bible teaches us how and why we must be saved. It reveals to us our sin. It points to us to the only remedy for sin, faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And it teaches us how we ought to live by forsaking sin, repenting of sin, and living to the glory of God in accordance with all of his commandments. Now, general revelation doesn't do that. General revelation merely tells us that God exists, what he is like, and that he made all things. It doesn't tell us how we can be saved, but special revelation does. And needless to say, that is a great blessing. Imagine for a moment that we didn't have the Bible. We'd be utterly and completely lost. We wouldn't know how and why we could be saved. We would be consigned to spend an everlasting eternity in hell. But God in his mercy did not allow that to happen. Instead, he revealed himself and his salvation in his holy and infallible word. More particularly, he revealed his way of salvation. He revealed to us his Son. He is the Word of God incarnate, the Word of God made flesh, and the ultimate revelation of God. Every word that he spoke was the very word and will of his Father. In the Bible, we have a magnificent portrait of the Savior and ultimately of God himself. And we need to read that portrait. We need to study that portrait. We need to treasure that portrait. Now, Somebody says, well, how does God save a sinner. Well, he uses his word. He causes his word to be proclaimed, usually by the mouth of his servants, and then he applies that word to the hearts of the hearers through his Holy Spirit, 
with the result that a transformation takes place. The sinner is made alive spiritually. He comes to see his sin and his need of a Savior. He comes to look to the Savior as the only hope and ground of his salvation. And he comes to submit to him as Lord and King, obeying his commandments and living to his glory and honor. Oh, my friend, has that taken place in your life? To be sure, not everyone experiences that in the same way. Some experience this in an instant, as in the case of the Apostle Paul or Lydia or the Philippian jailer. Some experience it more gradually, as in the case of Timothy or David or Samuel. But all true believers know something of this work of the Spirit working in and with and through His Word. And I ask you, do you know something about that as well? How wonderful when the Word of God has had this effect on us. Then we may rest assured that our sins have been washed away, that we are reconciled to God, we have peace with God, and we have the gift of everlasting life. But on the contrary, how terrible it is if this is not the case. Then we are still dead and under the wrath and condemnation of God. And then all of the sermons that we have heard and all the passages of Scripture that we have read in our lifetime will only testify against us and we will perish in our sins. But still today, the Lord comes to us with his holy word. And he assures us therein that he is willing to receive us to himself, to apply to us the saving benefits of Christ to each one who believes on him personally in the way of faith and repentance. And he holds before us in his word his only begotten son. And he says, as it were, this is my beloved son. Believe on him, hear him, and you will be saved. And he does all of this because he cares for us and for our salvation. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. And Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X, 2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. That's banneroftruth at frcna.org. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us 
offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. It will be gratefully received. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. The webpage address, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. For that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.